You know, I, I am really looking forward to uh, what I'm about to preach. Um, I guess I always do, but uh, this one maybe especially, I don't know. Uh, and I just pray it's a blessing for you. So let's pray. I'll ask God to really uh, use what is said. Gracious God, thank you for this body of people, this church. I just praise you, Lord. You've drawn us together to be the body of Christ in this place and at this time to do the work that you've called us to do, to worship you, to serve, um, to share faith, to, to, to go out into the world and see it transformed so that it becomes the kingdom of God in its fullness, functioning the way you desire it to function. And, and God, we're just, we're glad to be yours and we're glad to be family together. So Lord, as we do turn to, to your word scripture now, we pray that you'll speak. God, I pray that my words will become your words. You'll speak through me and that every person here will hear your message in, uh, being spoken into their lives by the Spirit of God. So Lord, thank you for one another. Thank you uh, for this church. Thank you for your word and thank you now for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I want to ask you today, what do you do when you're faced with opportunity? What do you, what do, you do when you're faced with something that has real potential uh, to enrich, and, enrich your life and make it way better? You know, people react to that in different ways. I'm going to tell you some little uh, sort of innocuous examples from my life that might illustrate the point. But about a year ago, um, my, my uh, father knew an elderly woman who was selling a car. You know one of those deals? 2009 Dodge Avenger, 30,000 kilometers on it, $6,000. What do you think Chris did? He bought it. Now, some of you might not be too thrilled with the 2009 Avenger. I love the $6,000 tag. You know, that's why I bought the thing. It was an opportunity. I could have left it alone. I could have walked away. But I'm really glad that I purchased that car, and, and it's running really well. Uh, here's another example from my life. When I was in my 20s, I had a really good friend um, who became a missionary in St. Lucia. Talk about the call of God, right? God, send me to St. Lucia. And he went there with a team of people to establish a church up in, up in the mountains uh, in a little town called Babineau. And I thought, you know, St. Lucia, hmm, where am I going on my winter holiday this year? Now, there's an opportunity I don't want to pass up. So I called Mike and I said, hey, what about it? I'll come down for a couple of weeks. So that all worked out really well. So for one week, I kind of trailed around after Mike as he did his missionary work and I helped him. And then for the second week, he took a week of holidays. And I'm sure it's not like this now, but we were on this beautiful beach, like gorgeous, just like you imagine in the tropics. It was a restaurant, like 100 yards that way maybe. And this little cottage that we rented. And, and it, was, it's like, it was like paradise. It was a fantastic holiday. But I had that fantastic holiday because I took hold of the potential that was before me. Here's one more. Um, a couple of years ago, my sister and brother-in-law uh, got a call from friends. Now, these friends had moved to Lithuania for business. I don't know why or how they ended up in Lithuania for business, but that was their reality. And they said, we're going to come home this summer for an extended period of time. Would you like to come and live in our house and drive our car and have a European holiday? Oh, well, they hummed and they hawed. And I thought, well, I don't know. It's still going to cost a lot of money. Five people on airplanes to Lithuania, and we're going to have to do... I said, go! you got to go! <laughs> because you know what? That, that will be a trip of a lifetime, and you will love it, and your kids will never forget it. And they went, and they had a trip of a lifetime, and their kids will never forget it. They stepped into the opportunity that was before them. What do you do when you have opportunity before you? Um, really remarkable potential in your life. 
Well, I'm going to talk today about a day when God's people had such an opportunity. It comes from Joshua chapter 1. Some of you will know that passage. Um, where where, where um, God comes along to a man named Joshua. Now, Moses, the great leader of God's people from the the exodus from slavery in Egypt for 40 years has passed away. And God says to Joshua, you know what? You're my man. I want you to lead my people. And I want you to take them into the promised land. There's the opportunity. Huge possibilities. You know, this land, they, they, they kept saying, flowing with milk and honey. You know, this land with, with wealth and with prosperity and with opportunity, incredibly rich agriculturally, he said, I want you to go. And he said this, I'm going to go with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And God promises, every place you step your foot will be yours. I'm going to give it to you. Can you imagine a promise of God like that? Every place you, you step, I, God, will give you this land as a homeland, as an incredible homeland. Well, Moses, of course, had to process this, this possibility. Um, but, but in the end, he saw that possibility, and he saw, and this ties into what we said in recent weeks, the, not only the possibility of an incredible homeland, but the possibility of a God who would be with him, and a God, God who would exercise his power in and among his people in dramatic and remarkable, beautiful ways. What we've said in recent weeks, the presence and the power of God would be there. That's exactly what happened because Joshua said yes to God and, and they went into the promised land. And I'm just going to scan some highlights from the book of Joshua. Read it if you wish. But you know, the first thing that they have to do is cross the River Jordan. They're on the east side of the Jordan. You know, and they have to cross west across the Jordan River, you know, Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, etc., into what is present-day Israel or the West Bank, if you would. And as soon as the priests who went before them touched the River Jordan, the water stopped flowing. God performed his miracle for them so the people could walk across on dry land. It's kind of like Moses in the Red Sea, right? It's God proving his presence, God proving his power. The first challenge they had to engage was taking Jericho. Now, Jericho was a walled city, fortified, and there would be a typical way of these people attacking a city like that and hopefully taking it, but God said, wait a minute, here's what I want you to do. I want you to um, go to Jericho, and I want you to walk around it once a day for seven days, and on the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times, and when you do that, I want you to blow your trumpets and yell at the top of your lungs, and I'll give you the city. Now, if you were a general as Joshua was, if you were anybody of any military capacity, you would, or even a civilian, you'd think, you want us to do what? <laughs> that is what you're calling us to do? But they did it. They obeyed God. And they did exactly what God had to say. And when they blew their trumpets and when they yelled at the top of their lungs, the walls of Jer Jericho collapsed and they took the city with ease. God showed up. His presence and his power was with them. Another one. They were, they were in a battle one day and they were, they were succeeding in battle, but in order for the battle to be completed, you know what God did? It says that he held the sun still in its place so that the battle could be won and the victory would be great. See, part of the incredible opportunity before these people, yes, is an incredible homeland, but it's also an incredible opportunity to see the presence and the power of God at work in them, giving them incredible victory, blessing them in remarkable ways. Um, and, and this is, of course, what they did. They went in, God was with them, God worked in power, and they took hold of that homeland. Now, I want to suggest that we're in a very similar place right now as a church to where Joshua and God's people were 
in that day. We have a huge opportunity before us as a church family to take hold of the vision, not that God gave Joshua, but that God has given us. And I'm going to talk today about stepping into it. I'm going to talk today about what we as the people of God are going to do to take hold of the presence and the power of God and to see him work among us and to create a remarkable and beautiful future. So I'm going to read portions of Joshua 10 through 18, not 1 to 9. That's the famous one. Everywhere you put your foot, I'll give to you. I will, I will never leave you and forsake you. That's all chapter 1 to 9. I'm going to talk from 10 to 18, and this is really about what happens after Joshua is willing to say, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Let's make it happen. So I'm going to talk about four points that are absolutely required in order for God's people to take hold of, to step into, and achieve vision in the way that I've described. Number one, the leaders have to lead. The leaders have to lead. Let me read verses 10 and 11 to you from Joshua chapter 1. So Joshua, this is immediately after God and Joshua are having this dialogue, and God tells Joshua not to be afraid and to, to stay in the word of God and so forth. So Joshua ordered the officers and the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. The Lord your God is giving you for your own. You see, in order for this vision to be realized, Joshua had to come to a place in his own heart that he believed with all of his heart that he had heard from God, that he believed with all of his heart that God had told him to act, and he had to have the courage within himself to step out and call the people to actually move across that Jordan River and go in and take the land that God had promised to him. He had to say, in three days, we're going, get ready. He had to lead. That took guts. That took conviction. That took a belief that God would be with him and that God would do what God had said he would do in order to give them victory. Well, I want to humbly suggest this morning that the leaders of this church have done exactly that. Um, we have worked and prayed and sought to discern the mind of God literally for years to produce the vision that we have. Um, I'm going to have that shot up on the screen. It's on the wall outside, and I hope you familiarize yourself with it quite often. But our vision, and we're going to go through this. That's our mission statement. Do we have our vision statement or not? Well, that's just Marty. Let me see if it's right here. Here. No, it's not it. Let's see if it's right here. Who's going to get it first, right? No, it's not in here. That's interesting. Anyway, we have a vision. <laughs> Could somebody open the door so I can read it on the wall? I'm not kidding you. I don't want to miss anything. Open that door so I can see it. We have a vision to have a thriving church where people are deeply moved and becoming mature followers of Jesus, living their life powerfully for him. Next one. We have a vision to see a faithful church as God's people come together in worship and in prayer so that uh, God's world work is done here on earth, like gathering with passion to enc encounter the reality of God. Next one, we have a vision to see a loving church where people are coming together and founding authentic community and life groups where they are being transformed by the power of the word of God and other things which I'll speak to in a minute. We have a vision too. Next one. Going to go fast through this one, guys. A compassionate church where we are reaching out and touching the lives of people who are going through really difficult and painful circumstances and bringing them to restoration, healing, and renewed joy. 
Next one, we have a vision to see a church which is, nurture, is being nurturing in terms of equipping parents to pass on their faith to their children so that they end up making, being solid, grounded followers of Jesus. Next one, we have a vision to see a church which is visionary, where leadership is really prioritized, and we train gifted leaders to give leadership in all areas of the life of our congregation. That is a necessity for us to move forward. Next one. We have a vision to be a creative church, and the words here are innovative and creative, that we will do things in new ways uh, that the church might flourish for God. And next one, a growing church where people share what God is doing in their lives and where we create essentially satellites beyond ourselves so that people can hear the message of Jesus. And then I believe the last one, we see a church which is serving, compelled by God's love, going into the world to touch the lives of other people. Like, this is here. This is real. It has been placed before you, my friends. And we have a strategy. It has been caught up in this little booklet here, and if you don't have it, it's at the Welcome Center for you. Uh, if you have it at home already, don't take another one. But hey, this is important. It's a summarization of the strategy that we have. And we have a plan, a seven-year plan, which uh, has just begun September 1, 2019, in order to bring that vision to reality in very concrete and specific ways. We are saying, IPC, we have, a, we have a future that God has spoken into our lives and that God wants us to embrace. So number one, the leaders have to lead. And again, humbly, I would suggest that's happened. Number two, second requirement. I'm going to read to you verses 16 and 17, and I want you to note the response of the people of God to what Joshua has told them to do. Then they answered Joshua, that's the people, whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we feel fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Be a man of God, they're saying to him. Now, I'm going to suggest something here that, that is a little bit different, maybe different for some of you, but you know the critical element that is required for us to step into vision after leaders lead, lead is that the people of God are willing to live in obedience to what God has spoken. Obedience to what God has spoken. You know, Joshua says, commanded them. Three days we're going. Let's make it happen. And twice they say, we're ready to obey. Now, what happens in your heart when I talk like that about the people of God needing to obey God? My gut tells me that a lot of people don't like the word. You know why? Because they think of when they were a child and their parents told them to do things and they had to obey in a way that was completely contrary to their will and they hated it. Do you remember sitting at the table? <clears throat> you can replace the vegetable if you wish. And your parents said to you, you're not leaving that table till you eat your peas. And you sat there, and you sat there, and you sat there. And I don't know who won in the end, but it wasn't a fun experience. Commanding and obeying, we have learned to dislike. And I talk about, okay, the people of God have got to obey God. Everybody goes, ooh. Let me tell you something about obedience in Scripture. This is really, really important. Whenever we as God's people are called, um, no, sorry, first of all, when we look at this verse, this response by God's people, they were absolutely willing to do it. It was in their heart to obey God. 
It was something that wasn't hard. It wasn't forced like when we're eating peas as children. This is their response to the God who knows whom they know loves them. And secondly, obedience in Scripture always, always, always includes two things. Number one is faith. Obedience is an expression of faith. And number two, obedience is an expression of love. When it comes to our obedience to God, it's because we have faith in him, we trust him, and because we love him. Jesus said, um, I'm blanking. Jesus said, um, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Two points to be made here. Does Jesus command us to do things? Now, this might kind of rub people in this culture a bit the wrong way. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. But those commandments being obeyed are an expression of our love for him, so he was saying. But that doesn't deny that the commandments are given and that obedience is expected. I want you to really think about this this morning. You see, it's in the nature of our relationship with God. If you have come into a relationship with God through Jesus, okay, this is one of those powerful, profound statements that I occasionally make. You are in a relationship with God. God. And God is our authority. God has the right to command anything, any person, anywhere, anytime, because he's God. Now, what is our response to the living, almighty, all-powerful creator God going to be? Well, maybe. we got to rethink that one. You see, it's in, the, it's in the nature of our relationship with God to recognize that Christ is our authority. He is our Lord. He is our King. That he commands, and we live in obedience, not because we have to, but because we believe and we trust and we have faith and because we love him. So we come along to this text and we look at this reality and we think about our experience with God. I want you to do that this morning, especially those of you who really consider yourself serious followers of Jesus, serious followers of his. And and think about how you live your life, will you? Will you take a minute? I'm going to challenge here. This is the challenging part. But a lot of people, I believe even followers of Christ, myself included, too often will hear something about opportunities or potential or, you know, things that they might like to do, and and, and they consider an opportunity, and the basic response is, well, I think that's something I might do. Um, and, And I want this to be caught up in the little phrase, well, it's up to me, I'll decide. It's up to me. Is that how you form your life? You know, see a lot of signs in Woodstock about learning how to curl. I'm going to learn how to curl. Well, it's up to me. I'll do it if I feel like it. You know, I could go on and on and on, but I'm going to get to the point. (laughs) When God speaks, and we're his, it's not up to us how we live our lives. And let let me get to this reality. I talked last week, at length, if you were here, about spiritual gifts and how God give spiritual gifts to his people, specifically to them, and that when they exercise those gifts in service, God shows up and they encounter the presence and the power of God, and the person that is being served experiences the presence and the power of God. And that everybody who is a follower of Jesus is so gifted by the Holy Spirit, and we are all called to serve, to build up the body of Christ, Scripture says. Now, how many people having heard that then or are now hearing it now, can sit back and think, hmm, that's kind of up to me to decide if I'm going to serve. It's an interesting point. I'll have to think about that and I'll do what I, I'll do what I want to do. It's 
you were misunderstanding the nature of a relationship with God. He has given you gifts, and he has called you to serve, and it's not an option whether the people of Jesus serve. We simply have to respond by faith and love and obedience and do what he has gifted us and called us to do. And I want to tell you this. If you think this vision is going to go anywhere without the obedience of God's people, as was the case here, you're wrong. People have got to step into serving with giftedness with passion in order to see this vision unfold. Let me do another one. We've been encouraging you for several weeks to sign up in life groups. Some good news, 40% of you roughly have. That's fantastic. We have a goal of 70% over the course of these years. We want to see it grow and grow and grow. But are you going to join a life group if you haven't? Well, maybe. It's up to me, really, isn't it? I get to form my life the way I choose, right? I love the uh, email that, that, that has gone out, and, and again, yesterday, uh, I read it um, to the whole congregation, and it was promoting life group involvement, and it just has this little line, Jesus was in a life group, dot, 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 just saying, just saying, are you a follower of Jesus? If you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to end up thinking like him, that's the intention, you're going to end up having a, the desire in your heart that was in his heart, and it's going to form your life, you're going to end up choosing priorities which he chose, you're going to end up living like him. And Jesus lived his life in a small group. And then you turn to the early church, and the early church formed itself by meeting in homes, it says, of believers. They formed themselves into small groups. So my friends, I want to suggest to you graciously today, we don't have an option in this one. You don't have to agree with me in this, but I'd push you to Scripture to figure this one out if, if you don't. God calls us to encounter community at a deep level in our small groups where we open our hearts and our lives to one another, where we share the deepest needs of our lives and even our brokenness, and we support and care for one another. He calls us to come together in a small group because where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, there I am, and I will open the scripture, and that truth will penetrate to your heart, and you will be changed. He, the scripture says, you know, get into those small groups and when you really are hurting and broken and you need people to bear your burden, bear one another's burden, scripture says, it's going to happen in a small group, not because you come out here with two or three or four hundred other people on a Sunday morning because they're not going to hear about it. You see, the church comes alive in that context. And then we all gather together on Sunday morning, we go, yay God. But so many people think the yay God thing is Church. Listen, if you had to look at the life of Jesus in the gospel with his small group and you had to define what church was, what would you be forced to conclude? <laughs> church was small group. That was the context in which these 12 men were transformed by Jesus and his teaching and ultimately by the Spirit of God so that they could be powerful for the kingdom of God. Now, I don't think that's an option for us. I think God has spoken and it is for us to obey in faith trusting that God's way is good and right and in love wanting to love him with all of our hearts one more again without this small group dynamic really taking off and those groups becoming what we envision them becoming no vision fulfillment we're not going to get there one more <sighs> I think a lot of people think about their money and they go well you know what I'll just do with it what I want Kind of personalize, I'm not, I don't want anybody to feel guilty, but just personalize this. It's up to me how I spend my money. If I want to spend it on a car, I will. If I want to spend it on holidays, buy a nice house, clothing. It's up to me. What does the Bible say? 
The Bible says that all that we have is not ours, it is God's. We possess it for a season. We are entrusted with it by God to use in the ways of his choosing. And when it comes to actual, and, and that's in everything, by the way, that's buying food for your kids and putting a roof over their head and, you know, whatever we do with our money, we're accountable to God for its use. You know that, right? All of it. But when it comes to giving to the church so that the, which we need in order the vision to be resourced powerfully, the Lord says, tithe what I give you. 10% off the top, not what's left over on the bottom, not a paltry few dollars every Sunday. Give substantially to me out of a heart of faith and out of love so that my work can prosper. And we hear that message about our money and we don't say it's up to me, we say we will obey. Now, I know this is, this is challenging stuff. I like challenging stuff. And I know some of you love it too and some of you don't love it so much, but it's in the Bible. And I want to tell you, my friends, if we will figure out the nature of our relationship with God, that Jesus is our Lord and our King, and that He commands and that we are to obey out of love and out of faith, we will be able to step into this vision, and the vision will be fulfilled, and we will have an incredible future together. I invite you to that, both to that type of relationship with Jesus and to what it means to allow Him to be our authority, our Lord. So, Leaders lead, people obey in faith and, obedience and in love. Number three, requirement. Um, the people also have to be willing to take significant risk. Now, what's going on is they're about to cross the Jordan into the promised land, essentially where Israel now exists. And um, there are many people groups, you know, which existed in that land. They held it. They had their kingdom, their king. They had their armies. And if Israel was going to take the land, they would have to fight for it. They would have to engage in war. And these people would have to be willing to give up their sons and their husbands to death to accomplish the will of God. And they had to be willing to take the risk because if they were defeated in battle, <laughs> what would happen to their women and children was not pretty. This was a major significant undertaking that God was calling them to, to risk by faith. You know, you know somebody said the way that uh, th faith is, is spelled is R-I-S-K. You never risk, you don't exercise your faith, you just you do what you know is safe. These people were willing to risk their lives and their, 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 their identity, their reality as the people of God in order to take hold of the vision, to step in to the vision that God had given to them. What does this mean for us? Well, Next Sunday and for four Sundays, we'll, I'll be entering into a preaching series about how we are going to tell others our story of faith. We're going to call it, Hello, my name is dot, dot, dot. Right? And then all the life groups in our church are going to study the same passage in the week following, and you're going to have opportunity to learn to tell your stories to one another. Because if we can tell our stories with each other in that safe context, then we're far more likely to be able to tell our stories out in the world when God gives us that opportunity to share our faith. And here's what I want to tell you, among other things. To identify ourselves with Jesus in this culture is a risky thing. Agreed? We talked about that early summer. And then to tell our story to somebody about how we've come to faith or about what God is doing in our lives. 
that too is a risky venture. I would go as far as to say for many people in this church to even tell their stories to one another in life groups is going to feel risky because you've probably never told it before. My friends, again, unless we get to this point of actually sharing Jesus with people in this culture so that they can come to hear and understand what the faith experience is, this vision will never take off. We want to see hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus, and it's going to happen because the people of God share their stories, and when people are interested, they invite them here to learn more about Jesus. Are you going to risk? Am I going to risk? Are we going to take hold of the vision that God has given to us? Are we going to step in? Talk about life groups again. I'm, I'm kind of hitting that one today. It's kind of important. It really is. We had, a, we had a small group leaders meeting in June. Just to say thank you, we had a lunch after church on Sunday and, and so forth. And, and we um, you know, talked about various things, but we also took feedback. And one of those leaders said, you know, when I first came here, um, it was a really, it was, it, it was a great risk for me to walk up to a table. In that instance, there was a small group leader standing behind a sign-up sheet. To walk up to that person that I didn't know, to look at a list of people whose, uh, a list of people whose names I was completely unfamiliar with, and to write down my name was really risky. See what that person did? Didn't sign up for a year. Well, we've, partly that's why we have sign up online now. I hope you get that. <laughs> But I want to tell you, anybody for the first time walking up to a door and knocking on it, not knowing who's in that group, that's a risky thing. Even if everybody in that group is new, it's still risky. And I'm going to ask you today, my friends, are you willing to risk for the vision, for the glory of God, to take hold of that future? You know, I want, I want to talk. <laughs> I want to talk about finances again. You know, People hear, well, it's the biblical thing to tithe your money, 10% of income. Nobody tithes their money for the first time, 10% off the top, trusting that God will provide for all of the rest. Nobody does that for the first time without taking a significant step of faith, i.e. risk. That's a challenge. You're stepping in, you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you because I honor you first with my money to provide for everything else that I need. You know what happens when people do it? They find God show up in a powerful way and they encounter his reality as he provides for them. Don't do it. You never encounter God. You get it? See, my friends, I got to tell you, risk is built into our vision. A lot of new stuff there. Serving in the church. God calling somebody here to, to serve with Brennan, who's not over there right now, <laughs> teaching the junior high people maybe. To work with teenagers? You sense it in your heart? You hear the call of God? Go and hang out with teenagers? I've had people, growing adults, literally say, that terrifies me. Here's my point to you. In the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter. What matters is obedience. <coughs> Faith and love expressed through recognizing the authority of Christ in our life and doing what he calls us to do. My friends, I want to tell you, we have got to be a church that steps into risk, following God, living in obedience to Him. And lastly, and the fourth, what's required here? Well, I'm going to read verses 16 and 18 again. Um, and I want you to hear the heart of God's people as they respond. I'm going to add an extra verse to what I read previously. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. 
Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, there it is again, will be put to death. I'll make a comment about that in a minute. Only be strong and courageous, they're saying to their leader. Be godly, be strong, lead us well, show courage, step out, and you go first so that we can follow after you in obedience to God. Well, you know what's, what, what I want, how I want to sum up what we have heard there of their hearts is they're all in on vision. They're passionate about it. And they are completely supportive of their leadership. Now, I'm going to say that comment just briefly and not dwell on it, but throughout Scripture, the people of God are called to be incredibly supportive of their leadership. Touch not the Lord's anointed and so forth. But, but in this instance, what they are doing as they support their leadership is saying, hey, we are in, we are stepping in, we are going with passion at this thing that we believe God has called you to and thus called us to as well. You see, there's no question in the minds of these people that the vision was of God. No question. That's why they were able to be so committed. No question that God had promised them the promised land, not just here in this moment, but for 40 years. Moses went to Egypt when there were slaves and said, God's got a homeland for you. <laughs> they knew what God's promises were. They knew all their lives that God was in this intention. And as a result, they fully embraced the vision and they committed themselves to it as of God. Now, I'll tell you, this is so different from 40 years previously. If you know the story, Moses led them from Egypt to the edge of the promised land. Moses sent 12 spies into this incredible land to spy it out, and they came back. Ten of them said, it's a beautiful, remarkable, incredible place, but there are giants in that land. We cannot succeed in this conquest. Two of them said, no, we got to go. we got to trust God. But the majority of the people believed the ten, and they weren't willing to risk trusting God, obeying God, and they rejected the vision, and they walked away, and for 40 years, they wandered in the desert. 40 years. Everybody who was 20 years and over at that point of the first rejection of God's will died. Everybody 20 years and younger lived, or most of them, I suppose, until the day that we're talking about here. But I want to tell you, it would have been in their DNA to know that God had a promised land for them. He had a future for them that would be fantastic and beautiful, fabulous, a homeland of their own that was remarkable. So you see the contrast. Walking away in fear, no faith, no obedience, and my friends, no commitment, no passion for what God had for them. Now, just for clarity, if you discover people, you having a heart for the vision, you having a passion to jump in, and you discover people who are talking against the leadership of the church, please don't kill them, okay? No murder. We're just not going there. But I want to tell you there is a biblical principle here that we have got to pull out and understand. God-ordained leadership needs people to follow it. <laughs> You're not much of a leader if nobody follows, right? 
God-ordained leadership needs people to follow. The people of God need to be passionate about a vision, the vision which God has given. And I am here today to ask you to fully commit your life to the vision that God has given to IPC for this next seven years. That's a big ask, isn't it? But I am asking it because I think it's of God. I'm asking you to see the opportunity. I'm asking you to, to think about the potential. This, this future church where people are coming to Christ and people are being transformed by the power of the word of God. People are loving one another in, in, in life groups and serving in the community. People are being led well by gifted and trained leaders. Children are being produced in our families who are grounded followers of Jesus as they hit you know, that 18 to 20 year old mark and they go out into the world to change the world for Christ. You know, we're, we're reaching out as we tell our stories. We're, we're establishing satellites in our broader region. We are serving in powerful ways so the kingdom of God might come. My friends, the vision is that we are transformed and as a result of our transformation, new things, challenging things, scary things potentially, as we are transformed, then our world will be transformed under the leading and the guidance of God who will show up in, in his presence and his power and enable us to do what he has called us to do. And essentially today, I'm here to say who's in. Who's willing to step in? <clears throat> I'm going to press home the point. I want to ask you what you're living for. <laughs> These people went into the promised land. They had a goal. As the people of God, they had a purpose. That was to fulfill the will of God for them as a nation. That was to do whatever was required, even to the point of laying down their lives so that the people of God, the Israelites, might have a homeland where they could worship and honor God, where the kingdom of God, if you would, could be established. A country that would function according to the will of God. What do you live for? So many verses, but... Uh... I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Like, if we could apply that to our lives individually and corporately, I don't live for me anymore. I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me, laid down his life for me. That's our calling. That's who we are. We're the people of Jesus who believe in him and who embrace his life, which includes death, that we might live. Are you there? My friends, this is challenging stuff, but I'm telling you, we need to grapple with these things in order for vision to become reality. And I want to tell you, we have a future before us that we can embrace if we will be a people who respond to the word of God in the ways that I've described today. Leaders need to lead and continue to do so with courage and with godliness. People need to obey the Lord, their king, their authority. They need, we, need to, we need to recognize who our authority is and live in obedience as an expression of faith and love before the Lord. We need to take steps that are risky and new. We need to step out in lots of ways in order to take hold of this vision. And lastly, we need to decide, hey, I'm all in. I am 100% in. Before I, before I finish today, I want to share with you some early expressions of vision. Then we're all going to go home. And I hope this will encourage you. 
You know, we just have Phil Sheldon, who's over here now. We're going to speak more about Phil in a minute, but he's now our new executive pastor. He started three weeks ago. He's getting his feet wet in the job and finding out how, what's the word? Complex church life is? Interesting church life is. Talk more about that in a minute. But he's here to lead the staff team who gives leadership to the people of God who fulfill the vision. Staff don't, don't exist to do the vision. They want to lead you as you do the vision with them, <clears throat> myself included. And, you know, Phil's job is essentially to take the strategy, which is much more extensive than this and kind of our working documents, and bring the vision to life, to plan it out, step into it in an organized fashion and so forth. And that's what he's going to do. It's going to be exciting. It's awesome. Um... But we've done some things because we wanted to get at it. We, we didn't want to wait forever to get at some of these things. So here's some things, and they're going to be put on the, on the screen that we're stepping into this fall. Number one, we're going to make prayer foundational to everything else we do. Unless God comes in his presence and his power, this vision will fall flat in its face. God has got to accomplish it. So this... This fall and probably within a month or so, we're going to have a leadership concert of prayer. Everybody in leadership of an IPC, staff, elders, all ministry leaders are going to be called together and we're going to get on our knees before God. We're going to ask God to move by his power to enable us to fulfill the vision. We're going to have a prayer calendar. It's going to look something like this. It's going to be prettied up. But here's the idea that we're going to distribute these on a monthly basis on, in paper and online. We as leaders are going to be praying for the things which will be noted in here, which will fulfill the vision. And we want every single person on IPC to pray with us. Can you imagine what God will do if we're all praying for the same thing at the same time that his will might be accomplished? Want to be part of that? Raw kitchen managers. Now, many of you will know about a raw kitchen vision. I want to tell you that we raised the $50,000 from this congregation to, to, to allow us to go forward in uh, the implementation of the raw, uh, raw carrot. Um, we've, we've been given grants by our denomination, and, and otherwise they're listed on the wall on, on your left as you leave today. So we have received to this date $129,000. Isn't that fantastic? We're, we're well on our way from a financial point of view. The raw carrot is going to employ six to eight people initially who are on ODSP, uh, disability pension, can't work otherwise. We're going to build Christian community. We're going to share Jesus with them. We're going to bless their lives. And we have hired two people to share the kitchen manager's position. And I want to introduce them to you. I'm looking at one right now. Amberly McLaughlin, stand up, Amberly. And is Gerda here today? Where is Gerda? Way over here. I want to tell you, these two women bring complimentary and significant gifts to the job. Amberly is going to spend a lot of time cooking in the kitchen, and Gerd is going to do a lot of our business stuff. That's really general, although they were over overlap. We are thrilled to have them on staff with us. And you're starting a week, Monday, to be trained for two weeks. And we are going to be hiring in these weeks. You can sit down now, thank you. We're going to be hiring in these two weeks those six to eight people. And we intend, God willing, to have the raw carrot making soup the first day after Thanksgiving, which I guess today was October 15th. We are on track, and God, is going to, God has used that. He's all over it. He is leading us. He's provided for us, and he will continue to work through it. Leadership training seminar, you've heard how critically important that is. Brett Andrews, uh, Dr. Brett Andrews, who did his doctorate in leadership uh, development, is going to be leading anybody here who wants to be trained in leadership uh, this, this fall, probably on a weekend kind of thing. We have to work all the details out. 
uh, what a huge resource we're going to tap into. And we hope that that's the beginning of something substantial in terms of developing leadership development at IPC. Because we need people who are truly gifted leaders to lead us in all of our ministry expressions in order to go forward. Hello, my name is. That's the series we're starting next week so that we train everybody in IPC to be able to give a three-minute story. That's what it is. I'm going to blow my wad here, but it's, here was what my life was like. Here's how I met Jesus. This is what my life is like now. So that when you have that opportunity, you can tell people how you encountered Christ. And as people are intrigued by that, then you bring them here. Bring them here. We've got to be tellers and bringers. And we've got to fill this auditorium up numerous times with people who are coming to faith in Jesus and discovering the incredible reality of faith in Christ that we already know. Right? And we are going to, I missed one. We are going to lead, train our small group leaders, our life group leaders, on a monthly basis as part of Phil's mandate, and he's excited about this, aren't you, Phil? Go, woo, woo. <laughs> he really is. And we're going to be training them because we need to see our leaders lead our life groups to become everything they can be, biblically speaking, to become the core reality and dynamic of this church where people are encountering God and being transformed by it, by God and his truth and his love. So there are some early concrete expressions of vision. And the last thing that we're going to do um, is to invite Phil to come up. And we're going to, uh, I'm going to invite elders to come who are here also. I just realized this morning I didn't let them know that, so they may not all be here. But if you're an elder, I'm going to invite you to come now. We're going to put our hands on Phil and just ask God to bless this man as he leads the staff team to do something really cool among us. <laughs> it's bright up here, isn't it? Yeah, you get used to it. All right, so let's, let's do that now. Just place your hands on Phil and we'll pray. Let's pray together as a congregation. Gracious God, we are just thrilled about where we're at as a church. Uh, Lord, you've given us a vision. We believe it's of you. Your people have been challenged this morning with your word about how to step in and get passionate about it and make it a reality in their lives. And God, we're just thrilled today that you've led Phil to us, led him to leave a good position in the world to take up this challenge to, to build your kingdom, uh, to lead the staff team as the staff team leads the people of God here uh, to create something beautiful and remarkable, a future, a preferable future to us that you have given, in which people are coming to Christ regularly and lives are being transformed, and we're reaching out with power to transform this world. So God, we are here today to commission Phil to his ministry, to, to ask you, God, to um, enable him, to give him strength, to give him courage, Lord, to be with him as he takes up this challenge, to create uh, under your direction, under your guidance, uh, this reality uh, which we call our vision. So God, we pray that you will give him your Holy Spirit. Fill his life day after day after day that he might do what you lead him to do. God, we pray that you would give him endurance, that you would give him strength when he most needs it and encouragement when he most needs it. God, give him your heart, the heart of Jesus, that he might lead the staff team uh, as, as Christ would lead it. So, Lord, we thank you for Phil. We thank you for, for his willingness to, 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 to come and to serve in this way. We thank you for his passion for life groups and, and all that you will accomplish through him. And, God, our simple prayer is that you will bless him and that you will enable him and that you will work through him as a leader in this church in order to accomplish great things for you.
So, Lord, we thank you for Phil, and we thank you for our future, which we'll share together. We thank you for what you will do among us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Phil. You're welcome. My friends, I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll probably sing another song, and I'll go home. But you know what my prayer is, essentially, today, is that you haven't heard from Chris Little, but you've heard from God. That's my prayer every Sunday. (laughs) But I pray that you've heard from God and that you are willing to respond with your life to what God has spoken to you today. Um, God is ready to give us the promised land. I believe it with all of my heart. And just as Joshua once called God's people to step in, I'm here today to call this expression of God's people to step in with passion, with conviction, with faith, with love, with obedience, ready to risk, ready to follow. And I pray that as a result of our time together this morning that you're ready to do that. Um, Want to speak more to me or to any of our elders? Please do so. Um, but let's form this vision that God has given to us together over these years. And let's see God show up in power and accomplish incredible things among his people because they were literally just willing to say yes to God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this people, and I thank you. Oh, God, how I thank you for them, for their love of you, for the way they do give graciously and faithfully, Lord, for the many people who serve. Lord, I thank you that they love you and that their faith is real. And I thank you, God, that today you've led us to a passage of Scripture and um, to the question about how your people can respond to you as you have offered us vision. Lord, these, these are substantial questions about how we will live our life. As individuals and as a congregation, these are substantial discussions about what our priorities will be and how we will use our time and our money and whether we'll serve and so on, God. But I just pray, Father, that you will so move among your people by your spirit that we, like those Israelites of old, will just say, we're in. We're ready to step in with passion in order to see you do something wonderful among us. So God, work among us. Speak to us still. Guide us in all of these various expressions that have been discussed today. And Father, set us on fire for Jesus. Set us on fire for your kingdom that we might live for him in all that we do. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come among us as never before that we might have the mind of Christ and the heart and desire of Jesus and the priorities of Jesus. That we might live like him. And by the power of your spirit, God, we pray that we will be a transformed and transforming people in this world. Thank you for your presence today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Lead us forward together, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.